0: Okay, so I'm not used to doing this. I'm used to being back there and with you guys. But back in March, just God started to give me stuff based on what I've been going through. And I felt he said, I want to share this with with, uh, you guys. So I thought, okay, I can do that. And, um, but as I came closer, uh, other people shared things very close to what I was going to share. I thought, oh, I don't need to share it now. But God said, no, I am putting my finger on something. I am addressing something. I am imparting something in this church and you are a part of it. And, And my prayer today is that You don't learn anything, I almost said. You can learn things, but that God imparts something. That you don't get more knowledge, but that you come closer to Jesus. So my message is God is for you. God is good. His promises never changes. And the power of thankfulness. So I'm going to start with God is good. All the time. All the time. Okay, I'm going to change it a bit. God is for me. me. All the time. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? Far, far, deep, deep down. All the time. When people reject us, when we don't understand things, when everything is against us, when we fail, when we really fall, do we believe that God is still for us? 100%. I'm going to read some Bible verses. Well, the Bible first said, he will never leave us or forsake us. Jesus said that no one is good but God. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. He does not change if our circumstances change. He does not change. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. I was sitting in the congregation one Sunday, and I, I just saw that like our understanding of who God is, our understanding of goodness, we can put a couple of pieces of paper on this music stand, and it will pretty much cover it. But who God really is and His goodness, we can take paper about paper about paper, fold this room from floor to ceiling, wall to wall, and we still won't cover it. That's the difference between God and us. It says in First Corinthians, the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. So it's like our wisdom and strength is down here, but God's hasn't even started yet. It's like a whole different dimension. God is goodness. It's what he is. We can try to figure out what goodness is, but we haven't grasped it, not even close. But we can read the Bible about these things. We can read as many Bible verses we want to. We can have people tell it to us, but if we don't get it revealed by Jesus, by the Holy Spirit, it won't won't sink in, it won't be real to us. Uh, Amy mentioned a a Bible verse, taste and see that the Lord is good. That's what we need to do, we have to experience it. We have to let it sink in, we have to uh, uh, let it become a part of us, let it become what is nourishing uh, uh, to us. And I find it very interesting that in Ephesians, about the um, armor of God, Set the helmet of salvation. It doesn't say helmet of knowledge. It doesn't say helmet of truth. What is protecting our mind is not knowledge. We We can't be convinced. It's not truth. It's salvation. Our mind needs to be saved. Our mind needs to be totally turned around by Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can do it. And God's goodness is what He really is. That's the uh, uh, base and foundation of His being, of our faith. And I also believe it's one of the first places that the enemy tries to uh, attack us. God loves us. He always cares for us, Always. He never abandons us. He has never abandoned you. Even when you feel that the church abandons you, even when you feel your parents abandons you, He never, 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 never has abandoned you. We can leave Him, but He has never abandoned us. We can never shock Him. Whatever you do, your deepest thoughts, He won't get shocked. He's never ashamed of us. We put so much shame on ourselves, but he is never ashamed of us. But there's lots of things that can hinder the way we look at God. And one thing is our earthly father, the picture we have of him. I had a really good father. He was a strong believer, a bit conservative, a bit strict, but a good father. But guess what? I have some memories and some things that even if it was a good father, is giving me a wrong picture of God. And I know some of you guys have fathers that was really, did some awful things. And my dad was really busy. And um, if I had done something wrong, even if I didn't think it was wrong, if he thought it was wrong, I felt a newspaper came up and no relationship not until I have said I was sorry, not until I had asked forgiveness, even if I didn't feel I had done anything wrong. I learned that asking forgiveness was a way to regain a relationship. That if I, if my dad thought I had done something wrong, Even if I didn't believe I had, the relation was broken until I said, I'm sorry. If the relationship wasn't there, well, my conclusion was I must have done something wrong or he must think I have done something wrong. I have to ask forgiveness for something. I had to lie about my own feelings to get the relationship back. I realized later that what my dad did was manipulation. It was putting shame on me. But it was also done out of his own hurts and his own insecurities. But it colored the picture I had of God. I never knew um, if I was in good stand with God. I didn't feel close, I must have done something wrong, or God must think I have done something wrong, even if I didn't know it. If I didn't feel his closeness, and even if I didn't feel people's closeness, if I didn't feel Garland, my husband's closeness, I had to find something to ask forgiveness for. I must have done something wrong. So our dads are, and, and yeah, for God, it doesn't matter if you've done something wrong. His arms are still open wide for you. He doesn't care. And as I had kids myself, I used to, and my kids, they were so irritated. They were so irritated at me for this. But when they had something wrong, I said, I love you. And my daughter said, I hated that. I hated that you said that because what could I do then? <laughs> but for me, it was so important that they knew, even when they had done something wrong, even before they asked forgiveness, I loved them. Uh, so our fathers gives us maybe a wrong picture of God. What we have been taught in school, in upbringing, in church, in media, gives us a wrong picture of God. It hinders us from seeing that God is always for us. I'm not going to go into that, but I'm going to go into a third thing, I believe, hinder us, how we see at God. And that is the un- ungodly beliefs that we have in our hearts. Ungodly beliefs. Me and Garland, we went to, um, to get some ministry a while back through someone called uh, Restore the Foundation. And one of the things they focus on is what we believe about ourselves, others, and God, that is lies, that comes directly from the pit. We, we recognize them, we give them to God, ask Him how He looks at us, and get a new godly belief out of that. One of my go- ungodly beliefs was that I always blow it. Oh, I blew it again. It's, if something is wrong, it's always my, my fault. And uh, I gave that to Jesus. And I said, Jesus, how do you look at me? And this is the godly beliefs that I ended up out of that ministry. If something goes wrong, even if I am the cause of it, God always has a solution. In him is future and hope. I am made in his image. That changed my life so much, that whole ministry. I used to wake up pretty much every night in totally panic. And after that, it stopped. Uh, I have some different situation where that, that God has a solution, just took me through some difficult solutions. And it's meant so much for, for us that still today, if something happens, If something goes wrong, me and Colin says to each other, remember, God has a solution. Let us look for his solution. Ask him to show it to us. He always has a solution. God is for us, whatever we have done. He never abandons us, even if bad things happen to us. He has not turned his back on us. Romans 8 Therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. He wants us to come to him in every situation. He wants honesty, like totally, totally, totally honesty. Like the kind of honesty you don't dare to do to anyone. He can handle it. Remember, he knows everything about you anyway, and he still loves you. He died for us when we were still sinners. Uh, back in January, I broke my hip, so if any of you guys wondered why I was, you know, had the had the walker and the cane and stuff earlier, that's why. It was me and Colin was at a conference in Toronto, um, and we listened to a lot of amazing testimonies about healing. The day before, a guy even had this testimony that God has taken metal out of his body and replaced it with bone. He, went, he had had operation in his back and had tons of metal in his back. He went to a doctor. I, I don't know if it was a checkup for his back or, or whatever. And the doctor said to him, your back is very good. And he just looked at the doctor and said, what? I have tons of metal in my back. My back is not good. And the doctor said, No, you don't. Your bone is really healthy. (laughs) God had taken every piece of metal out of his body and replaced it with bone. That was the kind of conference we were at. So this would be a perfect place for an accident, right? All the big leaders would just rush to my side, pray for me. I would get healed. Great testimony, just lift the conference up to a new level. Yeah, didn't exactly happen that way. I fell right outside the CTF entrance. Around midnight, all the leaders were gone home. I lay on the curb, waiting for the ambulance about half an hour or so. Extreme pain. I mean, the bone was broken straight off. My my leg was in such a position that the the, um, the paramedics didn't think it was broken. They th- thought it was uh, uh, what you call it out of the socket, it dislocated because of the the location of the of the leg. It was located that way, way because the. Socket of the hip and the rest of the bone wasn't attached to each other anymore. So we got to the hospital. I got morphine after a while. I had to wait for it. Took an x-ray. Oh yeah, the hip was broken. I needed surgery. I couldn't sleep. Actually, now I am the one with metal in my body. Things were kind of miserable. Had God abandoned me? He will never leave me or forsake me. Even though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I will fear fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, staff, they comfort me. Maybe I wasn't important enough for him to care. Luke 4 said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet none of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. He says that I'm the apple of his eye. He said that he has engraved me in the palms of his hands. He can't forget about me even if he would like to. He couldn't. It would be impossible. Is he still good? Was he still good? Yes, he died for me. All good and perfect g- gifts comes from the Lord. What about healing? Well my favorite uh, Bible verse about healing is in Psalms 103. "Bless the Lord, O my soul and forget not, forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, all your diseases who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. God showed me that I don't always understand. I don't always understand the circumstances. I don't always understand what's happening to me. But I can still trust him. He is still good. He is still God. He still loves me. When I was in the hospital, I had the choice. I could be miserable, I could feel sorry for myself, or I could be thankful. I chose being thankful. And because when I was there, I I remember when people asked me, I said, I cannot not be thankful. Think about if I lived in an era when they didn't operate. And I was going to live with that pain I had before the operation? I couldn't imagine it. Think about if I lived in a place that didn't have hospitals where they could operate. Think about if I lived a place I would have to pay for the operation. I had so many things to be thankful for. I have to admit, though, it was difficult to be thankful for the food. Hospital food was not good at all. <laughs> but uh, I think God forgives me for that too. Um, but you know something? Here is one thing. If I have been miserable, if I have been unthankful, would that have changed how God looked at me? No, not a bit. God is good. God is for me All. All the time. Do I still believe in healing? Yep. Was God for me? Yes. Was it easy? No. (laughs) Things doesn't always happen as we plan, but God doesn't change. Does circumstances change our belief, or do we let God carry us through our circumstances? What we do about the circumstances is our choice. God is the same if we fail. Again, Romans 8, there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus Christ. When I was in the hospital, we had lots of words spoken to us, wonderful, wonderful words, and they were such a help. And some people also said, oh, you know, I can see you witness to these people in the hospital. I can see... um, that you get this wonderful time with you and god guess what i didn't witness i was tired i didn't i didn't really spend a lot of time with god i did a little bit in the hospital because it was the only way i could handle the atmosphere that was there but and but when i came home i was sitting in a chair and i thought oh This is a wonderful time to listen to Bible verses, to commune with God. But I'm so tired. I feel like playing video games or sudoku. Ask Garland; he knows. And guess what? One day, do you know what God said? And yes, I really started to condemn myself. Do you know what God said to me? He said, go ahead, do your video games. Go ahead, play sudoku. I don't condemn you. I am the same if you pray or if you play video games. So that was it. I could rest in him. I mean, I don't say, don't seek him. But how he looks at us doesn't change. So circumstances can be against us, but God God never is. How we deal with our circumstances doesn't change the fact that God is for us that it will change our experience. We can blame others. We can blame ourselves. We can blame God. We can get stuck in self-pity. We can get stuck in unforgiveness and bitterness. Or we can go to God. He said, cast all your worries on me. I'm going to read a chapter from this book. It's Wendy Alec. Uh, she is the director of God TV. She was going through some very bad sickness a while back. And um, she struggled with it for a long time. And after that, in her uh, way of hea- or journey of healing, after she was physically healed, but in the journey of healing of her heart, God took took her through some visions. And this is part of one vision. She had been going through this beautiful valley, beautiful garden with Jesus. But then she came further into the valley, and this is what she saw. As I looked further, I saw thousands of men and women who seemed to be prisoners, walking or shuffling around the perimeter of a huge barbed wire fence, Their prison uniforms resembled those of a Second World War concentration camp, but the uniforms were not all the same. The prisoners on the left side of the camp had both their hands and feet shackled by heavy chains. In fact, the iron chains weighed them down to such an extent that they shuffled rather than walked. Many of these prisoners were stooped and bowed, almost doubled over. As they shuffled and limped along in an unending aimless single file past the perimeter, I could see signs on their backs but could not read them clearly. This entire sector seemed to be dominated by one particular legion of demon keepers who were taking untold relish and whipping them mercilessly as they continued their unrelenting path around the perimeter of the camp. But it was the prisoners' faces and bodies that caught my attention. Their faces were horribly contorted and twisted. And in their eyes was a terrible rage and fury that they should even be there as prisoners. Their limbs were, without any exceptions, completely twisted and knotted. Their hands were mishappened and crippled. Then I saw hunchbacks, many, many hunchbacks. As I studied them more intently, I suddenly realized that the and hunches had not actually been intended as part of their bodies. And I now, now could read their signs on their backs. Bitterness, wrath, unforgiveness, seditions, clamoring, and slander. I turned back hurriedly to look for Jesus in the garden, but he was no longer there. Then I noticed an old man with white hair, simply dressed in a brown homespun robe, with no great attractiveness of features, who stood quietly next to me, watching my growing consternation over the prisoners before me. They were once followers of the land, he said softly. I looked back towards the garden where the magnificent, beautiful flowers and plants were flourishing and shook my head vehemently from side to side. The prisoners there before me bore absolutely no resemblance in any manner to anything or anyone who had enrolled in our amazing warrior king's army. The old man smiled gently, sorrowfully at me, as though smiling at the child who was dull of understanding. Come, he said, taking my arm and leading me closer to the perimeter of the fence. As we approached, the prisoners at the edge of the fence pressed their faces to the barbed wire and grimaced, spittle running down their gnarled chins, jeering and clamoring. Their ringleader was the most vocal and ugly of all, with a double hunchback. He held an iron cudgel in his hand and slammed it across the wire in rage, as near to myself and the old man's face as he could. Slowly, the old man eased his right hand through the barbed wire and placed it gently upon the ringleader's knotted, hunched back. I waited with bated breath as, all at once, a soft, warm, fierce, coral-colored wind blew across the entire camp, and the ringleader stared, as though one entranced, into the old man's face. In an instant, I saw the ringleader's features changed and softened, tears flowing unheeded down his cheeks, and as I turned to look at the old man beside me, I wanted to fling myself to the ground as though one dead, for facing me was the Lord Jesus Christ, in all his majesty, in all his glory, over six foot tall, arrayed in the robes of the king above all kings. His robes shone and flashed like lightning, and they were silver and gold, but as it turned, in an instant, they were aquamarine, emerald, and deep royal purple hues. His skin was as burnished, burnished bronze, his eyes were clear and fierce, yet they carried the mercy and the tenderness of all the ages. He wore a sword belt around his waist that glistened with jewels of many hues. And just before I, in turn, flung myself to the floor, I looked around. Every prisoner at all four corners of the concentration camp quadrant had fallen prostrate onto the ground, face downward, worshipping. And then Jesus smiled, and the whole of heaven was in that smile. Gently, oh, so gently, he took my hand, his right hand still on the ringleader's back, and eased me back onto my feet. This man before you was one of my fine servants. He was a missionary in one of the most uncared-for and unevangelized parts of the earth. It cost him greatly to leave his country and his home to do this work. He sacrificed greatly for me. The ringleader now clung unto the Lord's hand desperately, as though never wanting to let it go. He served me faithfully for many, many years, unseen by others, his family going through many trials of faith for my kingdom, fighting persecution, disease, deprivation. Even his church that had sent him didn't appreciate the magnitude of his and his family's service and sacrifice for us. But he and his family was not unseen by me and my father, and his sacrifice counted greatly to us in the courts of heaven. Now the ringleader was sobbing, clutching at the Lord's rope through the wire, gut-wrenching, agonized sobs. Then the Lord passed straight through the fence and held him to him tightly as a mother with a child and gently laid his head as his breast. He looked at me with a terrible grief. After many years of faithful sacrifice, many new and younger missionaries came into his area and reaped greatly from the multitudes of seeds he had sown in the hard and fallow ground. The area became such a harvest for souls that soon, There were great accolades from all over the world for the new missionaries. They were invited to world conventions, received vast amounts of finance for the mission work, and were lauded by the princes, kings, and ambassadors of that regions. And this man was overlooked, I whispered. Jesus nodded. His eyes tender. Yes. No one, not even the new missionaries, gave him honor for the faithful tilling of the soil for years. It was not their intent. My young salads were enthusiastic and still growing in my ways. But after all the hardship he had, he had endured, it was too much for him to bear. But why is he here? I looked in shock around me. This is the enemy's camp. But look how, look how he clings to you. Jesus closed his eyes for a brief moment. He is a prisoner of war he has been taken captive by the enemy. In his agony of soul at being overlooked, and in his isolation, he quickly started to lose sight of the courts of heaven and eternity, and fell into a deep, deep depression. I sent some of my servants to deliver him and to lift him out of it, but he quickly came to the place where in bitterness of soul, he refused all offers of help. Then, because of that same bitterness, the demon started to torment him day and night, telling him that I had abandoned him. I sensed this was very difficult for Jesus. Oh, beloved child of God, if only we could each realize the incredible magnitude of his love. Jesus' voice was very soft. Many of my children in this end-time season have been experiencing abandonment through long, grueling seasons of persecution, sickness, or just the wilderness of soul. I said I would never leave you nor forsake you, that I'm with you forever, world without end. Jesus wiped the tears from his eyes. This was a man of great prayer and worship, but he stopped commuting with me and my father, And the demon's voices held more sway in his mind, and he started to heed them, becoming so filled with bitterness and unforgiveness that even his own family didn't recognize him. He left them and led by his demon capture, lived as a recluse consumed by self-pity and bitterness, hating the church and rejecting my people and me. Bitterness. Unforgiveness. Self pity, prison. Is where the enemy wants us. But maybe you said, "But what about when the church isn't there for us?" It's unfair. Yes, it's unfair. This guy had not been treated with fairness, but guess what? He was the one that ended up in prison. If we dwell in bitterness, unforgiveness, and self-pity, and all those things, it hurts us. We are the one getting into the enemy's prison, getting into the enemy's clutch. Forgiveness isn't letting someone off. It is saying that what that person did to you was so bad that it was worth death. That's what forgiveness is. When we forgive, we say we accept that this crime against us has to be punished by death. And guess what? Jesus has already done it. He has carried out the verdict. That's what we say when we forgive. It's not letting anyone off. Unforgiveness ties you to the person that wronged you. Do you want that? Do you want to be tied with the soul tie to the person that wronged you? Do you want to be the same as them? That's often what unforgiveness leads to. You become like them in one sense or the other. Forgiveness sets you free. In Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. All of Nehemiah is about building up the walls of Jerusalem. The walls is their protection. Strength is something we want to have when we are in war. Strength leads to victory. Strength, the joy of the Lord is our strength, that is our protection. The joy of the Lord. It's God's joy. It's not us trying to be joyful. It's God's joy that can be imparted in us. We can get be a part of the joy, the everlasting, the infinite, the I don't know what, joy that God has. It can be imparted in us. In, uh, let me see if I fun. Putting my Bible the right way might help. Philippians 4, 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. With thanksgiving and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Thanksgiving is our protection. The joy of the Lord is our strength. See the similarity? Let us ask God to be thankf- to help us be thankful, to surrender, to forgive. Thankfulness is not a chore. It's a gift. It is protection. It is the opposite, opposite of bitterness. Bitterness leads to imprisonment. Thankfulness leads to victory. It's a tool, a gift from God to us. I will also remember that was it Sarah Ball, the lady that was here a few weeks ago, said about t- taking thoughts captive. Because I feel it's a really similar thing. She, th- she said that if the thoughts in your head doesn't align with God's love, reject them. Ask God to take them away. If the thought that bombards your head doesn't line up with God's love, love to you, with that God loves you, that God is for you, reject them. Uh, I will also, though, say that if you are stuck, ask for help. Because we can get stuck in this place of unforgiveness, in place of gossip, a place of... Uh, uh, feeling sorry for myself. But God doesn't f- condemn you. Ask for help. It might be enough that you just ask for help from peers. It might You might have to ask for some uh, um, ministry. Yeah, why not? Me and Garland have gone, I don't know how many times we've gone to ministry through our lives. <coughs> uh, I'm going to end it with one more story, When I was in my early 20s, God asked me to be willing to not get married. And I tell you, I was a young girl, was looking forward to having kids. I wanted a family, all that kind of stuff. But I was also very much in love with Jesus. And I think that's a key for almost everything in life, fall in love with Jesus. That takes the victory to everything. It's the, I, I actually think that it's just one sermon that needs to be told. Everything comes from it, and that's fall in love with Jesus. Everything else comes from that. But uh, so I, after a few days, I needed to think of this because I need, wanted it to be from my heart. So I ended up saying, Yes, I am willing. That didn't mean that I didn't look at guys didn't mean that I had crushes on people. It just meant that I knew that if I was getting married, it was because God wanted me to, not because I wanted it. A few years later, he asked me, you know, you remember when I asked you to be willing to not get married? I said, yeah. He said, I have another question for you. Are you willing to be fulfilled not being married? are you willing to be fulfilled with just me? And he didn't say, are you willing to realize that you can be fulfilled? I no, said, are you willing to be fulfilled? God doesn't want martyrs. When he asks us something, he not. oh yeah, I'm suffering for Jesus. Oh, look at me. Aren't I God? I am willing to not get married. Poor me. No. When he asks us something, it is so that we can have a higher fulfillment. It is so he can give us more life. It is to our benefit, however hard it looks like. We are not slaves, we are sons and daughters. For those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Jesus said in John, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. To finish my little story, a few years later, quite a few years later, after I moved to Canada, God came to me and asked me a third question. And he said, are you willing to get married? And do you know something? It was as difficult to answer that as the first one, because God has been such a fulfillment in my life. And as you may be guessed, I did say yes. (laughs) We can so hold on to our martyrdom, sufferness of unfairness, in even our choice to follow Jesus and do his will, that we don't see what he is offering us. He isn't asking for martyrdom. He's asking for closer companionship with him. And if the day comes that we will be martyrs, guess what? I believe he is big enough that we can experience closeness and fulfillment even there. I'm sorry, I'm going late, aren't I? Uh, He is for us. He is offering fulfillment fulfillment, that we have to be willing to receive it. And one thing that hinders it is dwelling in self-pity, blaming ourselves and others, bitterness, our own pride, all those things. Remember the prison. The opposite of that prison is fulfillment. Remember that is the prison our enemy want us bound up in and the enemy, what is he called? The accuser of the brethren. Let's be careful. Also know if you find yourself yeah, if you find yourself bound up in that prison, there is no condemnation. You can be set free. Look at Jesus, ask him what is binding you up, and ask him to set you free. Sometimes we do need help from others. Don't be afraid to seek help. And I'm not saying there's not, not a place for grief, not a place for, for confronting, confronting others. But be sure you do, don't confront others from trying to blame. Go to God. And don't be stuck in the place of unforgiveness, even if the people thought, haven't repented. It's still you that will get into prison if you go into the place of unforgiveness. Go to Jesus. He understands. He can set you free. God wants you set free. It's no condemnation for us being where we are at, but there is so much more God has for us.